Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. What is up, guys? I'm super excited here. Got another amazing guest here, the Real Estate Hackers Podcast, in what has been an insane year that... Uh, roller coaster of ups and downs, uh, lots of twists and turns, but uh, I'm pumped, super pumped. Uh, Ari Schneider in the house on the Real Estate Hackers podcast. Ari, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, super pumped to be here. Very excited. Uh, so Ari uh, has a really cool story. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it and also hear some of the cool innovation he's doing on the JV side of things. Uh Ari actually used to be like in the innovation lab of Hershey chocolate. Uh, we don't normally get people who innovate in chocolate on the Real Estate Hawkers podcast. Uh, is that right? Do I have that right? You innovated in chocolate at one point? That's right. We came up with uh, cool new candy ideas every day. Uh, so it was a cool job. And my kids were like, I thought I had the awesomest job in the world. So uh, it was a good, good while it lasted. Uh, like Reese's Pieces. You like invented yeah. Reese's Pieces. Is that right? No, I, I, I was Reese's new product development team and we were looking at ways to like, you know, come up with a new Reese's idea. And we went across the country and we interviewed people and everyone said, we love Reese's just the way it is. Do not change a thing. So I was like, great. I'm the new Reese's guy. Now I can't, they don't want me to do anything. But we did see that the uh, people people like pieces and they like the Reese's cups. So why don't we put the Reese's pieces in the Reese's cup? Awesome plus awesome equals mind blown. Hundred million dollar uh, idea. That yes, I did have a small uh, part in. Um, and after that, they were like, "Good job, Ari. Pat on the head. Go think of something else." Uh, so then I I was like, you know what? I gotta get into something. I gotta have my own business. You know, I gotta like. Uh, do something. And, and I was in central PA, which I think is a really good market to get into real estate investing. So started, you know, real estate investing on the side, uh, started with single family homes and, uh, you know, really did the math. And I was like, well, you know, I, it is going to take me 20 years um, with this model to kind of get to financial independence and make this my business. Um, so then, you know, I started going into multifamily uh, and you know, the rest is hi history. I just uh, recently went uh, full-time real estate not too long ago. Um, but yeah, my origin was corporate America marketing uh, candy ideas. So, 
and not just any candy guy. I mean, like multi-million dollar Reese's Pieces, crazy successful. Um, but but it's, it's just such a fascinating story. It's like, you know, you were highly successful in your job. And, and the problem is that, uh, you know, you didn't own, when you don't own equity and you don't have kind of the ability to um, kind of create your own destiny, right? Yeah. You, you're getting a paycheck and even when you kill it, you're still, uh, still kind of the same paycheck. Um, so I just, before we get too far here, I do want to set the stage, you know, when this thing launched, I don't know when it will launch, but to, as we sit here today, uh, early November, 2020, the election is still being tabulated. So we, we still don't even know who won the election. Uh, COVID is still uh, rampant. 2020 has not been this most simple year. Um, and yet this was the year that you'd kind of, uh, you could have never expected this to happen. Yeah. Uh, but how has it been, you know, for maybe some folks who are considering not wanting to have a job the rest of their life and maybe move into something that where they're able to kind of control um, investments. How's that been in, in what has just been a crazy year? Well, I would say that, you know, I actually decided to go uh, full-time real estate in February. So like right be- before COVID happened. So like, you know, I was I was probably not a hundred percent. If I look at my real estate portfolio, I mean, it was good. It cash flows well. It's great, um, but I wasn't like a hundred percent. Like it was totally. I was I was killing it. You know, I was in the process. But I decided, you know, this is a good time. Let me go full time real estate because I had actually had uh, working on a deal under agreement, which was like a multi tenant retail, uh, you know, multi million dollar plus deal. And then I was like, you know what? I got this deal. I want to focus on that. I, I've got other stuff in real. I'm, I'm going to be okay. The economy is great. Let's just do it. Um, and then, you know, a month later, I, I was like, oh, great. COVID hit. No job. No deal. What the hell am I going to do? So then I was like, well, I got to pivot a little bit. I got to figure out, you know, what to do. So kind of went back to my roots from a multifamily perspective, you know, continue to cultivate the broker relationships, the direct to seller marketing that I've been building over the, the past couple of years. Um, and I was lucky to get a 21 unit portfolio that I pieced up a, among different investors uh, to JV on. Um, that was really a, a good project uh, to work on. Uh, but for a while there, I, I did have an oh shit moment, no job, no deal. Like what the heck am I going to do? Pandemic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, the only good thing for you is I think everyone in America has probably had an oh shit moment this year. You're probably the only <laughs> one. Uh, you just, uh, you happen to have jumped off a cliff, uh, and then your oh shit moment happened while you were free falling. Uh, <laughs> uh, but look, man, that's it's aw- what an awesome story. So, I want to get into so you said you did a JV. Um, yeah. I want you just, why don't you just uh, maybe explain to people what is a JV and how is that different than if you just go out and either buy a property yourself or invest in, in a REIT or something like that? So I would say that, you know, let's, if you look at a spectrum of, of real estate investing, I think in general, we got like four different investment types that you could do. Um, one is on one extreme end is something like a REIT, which is much more similar to you know, a stock market, it's much more liquid, you know, you could, you don't know exactly what properties you're involved in, you know, you have a pretty much an expected return, but you don't have a lot of control and a lot of ownership stake. The next, you know, down the spectrum is a passive investor in a syndication, whereas, you know, you may have a preferred return, you know, you're part of, you know, loosely the partnership, but you don't have much say 
uh, or much control in any way, but you do have a little bit of a downside risk that's mitigated, right? Next down that spectrum uh, is what we call a joint venture. So like you being part of, you know, the company that owns the property, um, you are going to be more involved either if it's guaranteeing, uh, you know, a loan or involved in the tax, or if you want a piece of, you know, the asset management, you can, you know, own a larger part of the deal. Um, and then the other side, and then the last piece is sole ownership, like you buying a single family home yourself or something like that. You have all the risk, you have all the reward. Um, but with a joint venture, you can really leverage this you know, expertise of the team that you're working with. And if your goal is, you know, to get to more financial independence through real estate investing, you're really going to be better served by entering into a JV or solely doing your own uh, uh, investing yourself. You know, it's not if you do the math, like if you're going to be in a traditional passive investor in a syndication, you put in $100,000, 8% cash on cash return, do the math. I mean, like, that's not going to give you enough to, to live off of. How much money are you actually going to have to invest? Are you going to have to invest more than $2 million in cash as a passive investor in a syndication to replace an income? I mean, you know, uh, so there are other alternatives if your goal is to get to financial independence yourself. That's awesome. So, um, so, uh, it, if someone's, let's just kind of break down the JV just a little bit more for someone. I, I love the spectrum. I think it totally makes sense. Kind of ranging of, you know, the REIT where you have no impact at all. You're basically just buying a stock essentially. Yeah. Um, all the way to you own the house all by yourself, but then the flip side is you're, you're in it alone. The JV, you, you know, you have a partner who maybe has more time in their hands and is going to make sure things go okay. But, but you also have a, you're almost like a, a board member, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's almost how I exactly. think about it. Um, how, like, uh, how do people even think about finding JV opportunities? I mean, how did you do it? Uh, you know, what, talk me through that. Like, maybe both how you, how you find your properties, but also how you find people to JV with. So, you know, I think the perfect property for a JV is somewhere kind of in this middle space of multifamily that is less competitive, right? You got everybody and their brother buying duplexes, triplexes, and you're not going to get a good value on them. And then if you look at the institutional grade B class, 100 unit plus building, you got everybody from New York, Philadelphia, all over the country bidding on it. But I think the perfect type of property for a JV is kind of like this mid-range whether it's, you know, eight unit to 30 unit or it could be a more uh, multifamily property because really your team, you only, let's say you only need to raise, you know, 300 grand, 500 grand, something like that. You, that's something that you may be able to do with a handful of people. You know, I've got JVs that, you know, it's me and one other person. I've got JVs that is, you know, me and uh, three other people. Um, and I think, you know, that's the type of property that works well. In terms of how did I figure out or get into JVs and things like that? Well, I was, you know, having some success in real estate investing. And then, you know, people reached out to me as like, hey, I'm really interested in that too, but I want to learn and I want to be more involved too. I don't feel, you know, as comfortable just giving my cash to some internet personality that I heard is a top syndicator or whatever. Like, I want to, you know, work with you. I know you. Um, you know, how could we do this together? So, and how could I get more ownership so I could actually get, you know, to financial independence? So I would say that 
I have more of a personal relationship and connection with people that I do uh, joint ventures with. Um, so that's how it differs a little bit from a traditional syndication. That's awesome. Um, I, I I love the model. I uh, I'm actually not sure we've ever had anyone on the podcast who does JVs like this. Uh, maybe we've had one, but it's a different it's a different model. It's super interesting. I saw, I've syndicated, but I've never done a joint partnership uh, uh, JV like this. But I, I imagine one advantage is probably less legal work needed. Mm-hmm. In accounting, right? Because you're not, th- these aren't like SEC guideline type deals. I mean, it's basically you and what, maybe two or three other people. Yep. So it's just a basic LLC, right? Yep. It's just a basic LLC. I think the limit is nine or 10 people involved. So you just write it, you just manage it through the operating agreement that has specifically how much money each person puts up, how much uh, percent ownership each person has. And you can get really formal about the roles of the different people, like who's the asset manager, who's going to do um, most of the tax work, who's going to be do, uh, involved in guaranteeing the loan, you know, things like that. And you don't necessarily have to be super, super prescriptive on the on the operating agreement, but it can all be defined through that body, um, you know. But I think the the burden of proof that you do actually have a relationship and the person is knowledgeable about what they're getting into and what the what the risk is, yeah, you got to, you know, be totally open about that. And I guess you can do whatever you want, but I would assume in most of these JVs, everyone's guaranteeing the loan. Is that? Yeah. So far we, we are, we have had that in the, everyone's guaranteeing the loan. However, this, we are working on one right now that we're going to actually have a non-recourse uh, loan. Hmm. Uh, we're going to actually have a, only a 65% LTV. We're putting more money in. Um, to get a portfolio lender to agree to do a non-recourse loan because that was just something that we had to we wanted to explore. We had more cash to put in. Um, so in that in that uh, you know arrangement, the different JV members are going to have a different role. That's not just you know that you know one person's going to have entity structuring responsibility, taxes, things like that. Fascinating. I, I love the uh, I love the kind of the creative um, structure. How does it how has it been so far with working with your JV partners? Do you ever have disagreements or is it by and large been pretty good? I would say that, you know, by and large, it's been pretty good. I do have a JV partner now that's uh, doing uh, the asset management. They signed up for the asset manager. They wanted to do um, the asset management and they're like, Hey, I think I should get, be getting paid more for this asset management. So I was like, Hey, you know, we had this agreement. I would have happily asset managed this thing. I know what to do here. It's not, but you wanted to do it. Like, you know, that let's, you know, this is kind of what we signed up for. So, you know, we're, 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 All right, let, me, let, me, let me pause you there. I, um, I want you to talk a little bit about asset management. This is something that I yeah. talk about a lot. I know yeah. we have talked about it. Um, when, you know, when you think about the asset manager, let's just say it's a, I don't know, a 15 unit building or 15 unit deal. What, you know, what does that responsibility look like to you? What do you think you're signing up for uh, kind of in that role? I think you're, you're really signing up to really manage the property management company and uh, make sure that everything's set up at the front end. Well, like making sure all the utilities are optimized in terms of who pays what, um, you know, overseeing the property management, make sure that you're getting charged the right amount of money and, and just managing it, setting it up so the, you know, mortgage is automatically paid and 
and just basically get it up and oiled, working like a well-oiled machine. And it's a lot of upfront work, just like putting the deal together. But if you do a good job upfront asset management, it doesn't necessarily have to take a ton of time. And I think that, um, but you can't just run something and let a property management company run it for you because they're not asset managers. They have other things that they're, they're managing and they have different metrics that they're held to, right? So you're responsible uh, to do the asset management yeah. for, the, for the JV. And it does take a lot of upfront work. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think it's well said that there is, um, there's kind of like two parts to asset management. There's the getting systems set up and then there's kind of the long term and the you know, it, it could be a month. Well, it's really until the asset's stabilized is how I yeah. think about it. And that could be two weeks or it could be two years. It all depends on what you're doing and how much work you're taking uh, to get the thing stabilized. And then once it's stabilized, it's a much more fluid um, system. Do you, uh, you know, we one thing we encourage our owners to do sometimes is to have a every other week or every month or every week, some kind of a check-in with the prime manager. Do you... Uh, I normally do that. Uh, I know you actually use Slatehouse for a lot of your stuff. But I don't actually even know the cadence you have with our team. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> you know for one particular property, I'm very close to it, uh, and I check in more often. For another property, I will probably just put in the tickets. I think you guys have a good system with the ticket system that mm-hmm. there's transparency around what's the issue, when's it going to get resolved, and, mm-hmm. and the follow up. Um, but it really depends on the property and the issues that are going, you know, and I'll give you a good example. Like I want to get uh, video cameras for one of my uh, places, right? That's an asset manager type job. I don't think you can expect your property management company to do all of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a routine maintenance thing. It's a creating a new system to have a new capability. Mm-hmm. I think that's really an asset manager role. Another example of an asset manager role, like we bought a fourplex for 165 grand. Um, the market's being crazy and we want to get into a larger one. Well, I decided instead of a five-year hold or, that we were planning to, let's go ahead and sell it. We sold it for 255 grand. We put oh, the hold, proceeds. On, hold, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Let's just pause. You bought it for 160. Yeah. Did you put mm-hmm. money into it? I didn't put anything on it. Just okay. cash flowed for, for And a then how fast did you sell it for 250? You sold it for 250? I sold it for 250. It was on the market for probably... Uh, Five or six days, we had multiple <laughs> offers, cash, no inspections. Um, so we, we got out while the getting was good. So you and, you made you made Reese's pieces, right? A hundred million dollar business. You get a pat on the back. Yeah. You jump into real estate during what is the craziest year I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how you want to else you want to say it. You as part of a bigger deal, you buy a four unit for one fifty. And like two months later, you sell it for two fifty. So, so you made a hundred. I, I guess you, you probably aren't going to keep that. You're going to probably put that in a bigger deal. Yeah, but that's like a that's awesome, man. First yeah, time. yeah, that was that was a good. I would say that's a solid double. You know, you got to hit those doubles. You got to hit the one. You know, you can't always. Uh, uh, you know, but that that's a really solid deal. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I think there's stuff. There are opportunities like that out there. Yeah, um, I think that's. I think that's well said. Is like. Um, and I was kind of uh, having some fun with the upside there, but I think, you know, the property manager doesn't know the strategy that the investor is trying to do on the asset. And there's all sorts of strategies, as we've talked about on the show. There's, you know, we're just going to try to get some cash flow out of this thing. There's, we're going to reposition and sell it. There's, 
any number of, you know, we're going to raise rents and before we do it, we're going to invest a bunch of money and we're going to turn the thing and um, we're going to put in a bunch of money and refi it. There's all sorts of different strategies. Uh, and ultimately the asset manager is dictating the strategy for the asset and then communicating that to the property management company. I think, you know, I, I think you do a really good job of that is I know all, all the assets you have, all they all kind of, and maybe you want to touch on this, but they all kind of have like a business plan. I feel like you're pretty into that is like, there's a, yeah. there's an actual plan for the asset as if it was its own company, which it almost is. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and then you kind of, uh, you know, execute on that. And sometimes you change it as you go along. I mean, I don't think your original plan was to sell this thing for 250 right away. No. But, yeah. Uh, so when you sell it for 250, did you then take the hundred K and go buy a Lamborghini or like what's what? we put it in, we're putting it into a 14 unit apartment building we have under agreement right now uh, with the same investors. So same JV, you and a couple other folks, yep. you, as part of a, uh, what was originally like a 20 unit deal, yep. you, you snipped off four, four units of those resold that then took the hundred K you made and put that as basically a down payment into what is now a 15 unit deal or something. Yeah. So basically, you know, I was working with, I'm working with an investor who did a lot of, uh, in it's, it's an investor that bought a lot of like single family homes, section eight stuff in Detroit. They've done flips in, you know, Phoenix, LA, stuff like that. So they're very interested in, you know, they knew a lot about single family, didn't do a lot with debt. Right. So I wanted to buy a small multi here, leveraging debt and kind of show them the power of multifamily. Um, so then we had we did that deal, uh, the four unit. Then we were able to to sell it, you know, not too far after, and got this fourteen unit. It really kind of primed the person and, and said, "Well, I feel more uh, I feel more uh, confident about you know Ari as an operator and you know this asset type and taking out debt. You know, so it was kind of like the steps to get um, you know the investor to to consider uh, multifamily. That's kind of the reason why we did that. That's awesome. Um, if, if I, and uh, I think if I have this right, that some of your JV partners don't even live in the U.S., if I remember some of, right. Some of my JV partners do not live in the U.S., and I have previous relationships with them. Yep. Um, but uh, talk me through that, how that, um, I mean, I guess that works pretty well, right? Like, you could have someone who, you know, you've known, maybe they used to live here, or you met them at a meetup, or whatever. Then, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, now they're living in Europe, or they're living in South America, or whatever. And they still want to invest in America, but maybe they're a little yeah. uncomfortable doing that without living in America and being able to mm -hmm. check on it. it. It feels like a pretty good opportunity for you to kind of work yeah. with someone who, you know, you are the boots on the ground, you know, you're in the area, able to kind of keep an eye on the asset, help them understand what the market's like here. They're able to invest in America. Uh, yeah. I, I like that. And and the fact that they can invest in America and take advantage of these low rates that we're seeing, you know, taking debt, you know, which is very difficult for them kind of to do themselves. So it's really providing a value, a service that it would be very difficult for them to take advantage of. You know, they're right. used to buying stuff just with cash. Um, you know, so. Right. Cause you're, you're saying someone who doesn't live here for a local bank to give them a loan. Yeah. That's tough. They're not These portfolio lenders in this, in this region, you know, were skittish at first. It took a little bit of convincing um, for them to do with this LLC. Now this LLC has already been successful and established with these investors in it. So now, you know, doors are, you know, wide open uh, to continue to do business. But, you know, it's basically if 
for whatever reason, these, you know, certain investors, uh, it's harder to get into, you know, this sort of multifamily take debt. Some people are debt averse, you know, there are cultures that are debt averse too, you know, mm-hmm. um, but in this environment and because, you know, I think Robert Kiyosaki once said like real estate is debt and taxes. If you're not taking advantage of debt and taxes, go sell widgets. I mean, this is, that's basically like the, reason, the main reason why uh, real estate is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The leveraging it. De- I mean, look, uh, interest rates are low and it, you know, it's funny when I, I got into real estate 2014, I remember thinking that, uh, no way will interest stay this low. So I was all about like, I got to lock up long, like 10-year loans or whatever. Cause like there's, we're never going to see this rate again. Uh, and I think it's lower now than it was <laughs> when I first got into real estate. So it, it is crazy how long it's been at a low level debt. Yeah. And it sure feels like we're not going anywhere anytime, anytime soon. So, you know, leveraging, uh, you know, I, I've been talking to in, some investors, not even about, new deals, but like, you know, someone who, I know you just refinanced a property recently, I think, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you've owned something for five to six years, the equity that sits in that property with debt being so low, honestly, that's not too much different than that sitting in your bank account as just cash. And it's funny, like nobody would sit with a hundred K in their bank account. If they did, they'd realize like, this is a waste. Like, why is it sitting there? Um, you know, I, I kind of talked about like it's almost like the same concept. If you're sitting with equity inside of a building, if you can refi it and pull out a hundred and go, you know, get returns of fifteen percent, uh, you know, your leverage on that's pretty strong. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, man. Um, that's awesome. Uh, what? Uh, one. The next thing I want you to talk about is like, look, COVID's been crazy this year. Um, multifamily has still been pretty hot. I don't know. You're in this world every day. Why, why yeah. do you think it is that way? Like, why is multifamily still a great investment, even with COVID? I know we have some people who maybe aren't in real estate who think like, are tenants even paying rent? Is it impossible to evict anyone? Um, you know, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think is going on here in multifamily overall? I think there's three main reasons that multifamily are, is still hot uh, in this pandemic. Reason number one is government government and monetary policy. Reason two is consumer behavior. And number three is supply and demand imbalance. Let me start with government monetary policy. There has been more money printed in the last 10 months than I think in the past 10 years. So what does that mean? That means that there's likely going to be some level of inflation, right? The thing about real estate and multifamily is that um, it's a very strong inflation hedge because so much of your investment, sometimes 75% of it or 80% of it is financed at a fixed rate that's not going to change with what happens to inflation. Your expenses are going to change. They'll go up, but also your rents are going to go up. So if 75 to 80% of your you know, capital that you're working with is going to stay fixed and rents and the other piece are going to go up, you're probably going to end up in a good position. So actually this government and monetary policy has been helping a lot. The second piece is, you know, consumer behavior. You know, have you been spending more time at home during this pandemic? I mean, yes, I lived, with my, have. I lived with my mom. Uh, my mom, I know you weren't asking me, but I'm going to answer you. My mom, <laughs> my stepdad, my dog, my wife, my daughter, 
my sister and brother-in-law, we all stayed in one house for five months. It was something. That and and that's you know, and then you really understand the value of having your own place. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Yes, people are staying at their home more during the pandemic. So, like, if you spend more time at home, you're more likely to non for not forego your home expenses, right? That's so important to you. If you spend more time with it, if you anything you spend more time on, you generally spend more money on um, as the time goes on. So, like, the consumer behavior were nesting more people are making improvements to their home they're buying nicer things to have around home to have a better experience and multifamily really feeds into that um, and then the last thing is really the supply and demand imbalance like across the country really m- notably in this area that i know of um, in central pa where i i watched the the data pretty close there's a housing shortage right there's also migration coming here from you know larger cities New York, the Phillies, a lot of the new tenants that are applying to live in our places are from the New York City uh, metro area. And uh, they're coming here for a lower cost of living. Um, And there's a housing shortage, right? There's not as many places for them to live. And also like building new houses got more expensive, right? With COVID, the material prices went up, lumber went up significantly. There's more regulations when you have to build. You got to wear a mask, you got to six feet apart. I, You know, there's things that came in that make it more costly to do that. So basically for those three key reasons, multifamily has still remained super hot. And in terms of your question on, well, okay, multifamily is hot, but tenants don't have to pay anymore because the CDC said so, right? Well, not necessarily. Actually, for the tenant not to have to pay, um, they're actually a pretty big burden of proof that they have to prove. They have to prove three main things. Number one, that they would be homeless if you know they were evicted. That's number one. Number two, that their income, their job was materially affected, directly attributed to coronavirus. And number three, they have to prove that they actually tried to get help from the government, but they couldn't get help from the government. So it's a pretty big burden of proof there. Now, there are some municipalities, and Chad, you're going to be a bigger expert on this than I am in terms of our helping out the tenants and telling them to sign forms and things like that. But where we operate, we haven't seen that. And another strategy that you were talking about, Chad, that I thought was really bright too, is, you know, if you're in that type of municipality, you know, think about potentially bringing people month to month for a little bit, because you don't have to evict them. It's just that their, um, you know, their uh, rent, their, their lease is up, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, look, another- I think, I mean, look, I love all your points you're getting on. First off, just go back to the housing shortage, major, major housing shortage, no question about it. Uh, We're renting things out faster than ever. Uh, We went into the year with 200 units that we were actively marketing. It's about right, about 5% of what we were were managing at the time. Uh, Our business has grown about 15%, and the number of units we're marketing right now has shrunk in half. So we have about 100 units we're actively marketing. So you figure if we're an indicator of the broader market, no question there's a housing shortage. There's less units available for all the reasons you cited. And when there is a shortage, when you have less supply, demand goes up. So we're seeing rents increase. I don't know if that's due to inflation or the housing shortage, but it's happening, which is great. We're seeing things rent faster than ever, which is great for multifamily and real estate overall. Um, And then on the eviction side, I I totally agree. I think, you know, like... uh, 
it's just like most things in life. You got to be really careful. You, you hear like short snippets online or from, from people saying like, you know, sound bites like no evictions at all. No one can be evicted. And the reality is that that's not the truth, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of nuance to that. Um, it is, and to your point, it is so much driven market by market. We're seeing vast differences in how courts are handling evictions in 2020. Uh, we highly recommend having a local partner um, even if you're going to self-manage, we, represent, we recommend having someone to call locally who really knows the ins and outs, or, or ideally you have a prime management company who, who kind of knows what's going on there. Uh, and then to your point, um, you know, we are, even, with, even, even in these areas that are tougher, um, we, we are seeing some judges who are making it more difficult um, you know, they're, they're just doing all sorts of different things to make it more difficult to evict people. But, but even in those worst of the worst cases, you know, a lot of tenants who haven't paid their rent are a it's high, high correlation with not being on a full lease anymore. Maybe they've lived there for a long time and they never signed a lease renewal uh, or, or it's been, you know, over a year now. Um, and so having these tenants on leases that are essentially now month to month is a huge win because uh, the CDC, and this is something that most people don't talk about, the CDC has no protection in it for people who are out of lease, um, you know, essentially um, holdover tenants. And so... Once someone's out of lease, the CDC um, no eviction ruling, at least for 2020, and, and we'll see what, how, what happens in 2021, but in 2020, there was no protection there. Um, and so we've been, by and large, I think the numbers we were seeing were of folks who weren't paying rent. We, I, I think I just saw the number of 83, 84% success rate of um, eventually locking them out, which you figure even outside of COVID, for all sorts of reasons, you're going to see, you know, 96% success or something like that, you know, just due to other things that kind of slow the process down. Um, so, you know, those aren't crazy numbers, uh, I think, overall. Yeah. So, all right, and this is awesome. Uh, I love what you're doing. It's so interesting how hot COVID is. Um, are you uh, looking for more JV partners? I mean, you're the first person we've really had on here who's kind of talking about JVs and stuff. I'm sure there's be people who are listening to this podcast saying, man, I, I, I love what Ari's cooking up there. I want some, some you know, I want to get in on JV. Uh, are you looking for JV partners or how you can think of that? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking for deals um, and we're always looking for people to partner with too. What I recommend people do is we put out a actually a, a guide at capitalrealestate.com slash JV that really talks about the spectrum of, you know, REIT to owning it 100% and everything in the middle like JV and syndication and really decide what's right for, for you with your, you know, real estate investing goals. Like, if your goal is to eventually get to find more financial independence with through the power of real estate, I highly recommend you consider JV as a potential option. Again, that's Capel Real Estate, K-A-P-E-L, realestate.com slash JV. Capelrealestate.com slash JV. I love it. Is it a video? Is that what we're looking at? Like, oh my uh, it's, a, it's a white paper. You put your email there and then we're going to send you a white paper that has that information. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, super, really cool stuff, Ari. I, I love what you're doing. By the way, I, I mean, just to put all the cards on the table, I think we were going to do a JV together before COVID started. Yeah, we're going to do a, that's that multi-tenant uh, retail deal we were talking about uh, yeah. that I was... We were I, I won't give I won't give all the details, but I, I will just. It's worth people hearing. Uh, basically, about two weeks before COVID, we got under contract. 
on uh, essentially a uh, you think it was like a market basically mm-hmm. that we were looking at investing into, uh, which would the timing to buy a market was not March 2020. Uh, that was, uh, and so luckily there was a fairly large diligent period. I think that's something else you're really good at, Ari, is you put these kind of, you know, kind of a decent timeline of, of diligence. We were in the diligence and were able to um, kind of hold off on that, which I think was was smart. And, and we may still come around on that deal. So um, that's great, man. Uh, it's funny when we were working together on that. I didn't. I don't think I would have even realized we were working on a JV. So uh, I love there's kind of some framework to that. It's really good stuff, man. Uh, well, all right, that's great. Any other? Uh, if people want to reach out to you, or uh, you know, pick your brain on anything JV related, I, I know you're super accessible. What's a good way for people to reach you? Um, you know, you can uh, go on on my website, capitalrealestate.com, and you can sign up uh, to have a call, 30-minute call, and, you know, chat about whatever your heart uh, desires. Yeah, I'd love to chat with you, especially about real estate investing. So, so if they want to talk about chocolate, you're not interested? Or you, you still hey, man, talk if, you wanna, if you got a cool chocolate idea, I still have some good connections, man. Let's see. Yeah, <laughs> I'll get a good word in for you. All right. Well, if you want to do a joint venture in real estate or you want to talk about the latest Reese's Pieces concept you have, Ari's your man either way. Hey, man, this is great. Uh, it's great partnering with you on all these different deals. Love working with you and, and, and love just seeing you grow. Uh, you know, I'll give you some props. I remember the first ever deal you did um, was a deal we actually took to you. I remember at the time there were some people who thought you uh, overpaid for the asset yeah. and uh, have since um, I don't know, add like 500K in equity to the deal. So the joke's on them. Uh, and uh, I, the last thing I want to conclude with before I let you go is talk to me a little bit about, I think one of your strengths is kind of going after maybe markets that are under looked kind of uh, yeah. under the radar. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe talk, talk about your, your thoughts there. You know, you don't really invest in Philly or yeah. um, New York City or Baltimore. You kind of invest in these like unknown markets. Is that, yeah. is that a strategy of yours or yeah. how do you think about it's, that? It's, uh, it's kind of that blue ocean strategy. Like where are, are, where can I compete where there's not as many people competing? So essentially what I like to do is, you know, if there's any places that have kind of a bad reputation or, people may poo-poo it for one reason or another. Like, look at the data, look at the numbers there. If it's got population growth, economic growth, um, and also you know uh, information about it, like, think about investing there um, because you're going to have less competition and you're not going to have to be a rocket scientist to be very successful. I would say I'm not the smartest, uh, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if you put me with limited competition, I'll do a lot better. You know yeah, what I mean, so I think that goes for everybody. Yeah, it's a good point. It's like, you know, competing in Austin, Texas for real estate yeah. is a lot tougher than Lebanon, Pennsylvania, I guess. That's, right. <laughs> so, uh, that's great, man. Before I let you go, last thing, uh, 2021, uh, something we always ask guests here is one thing they're excited about kind of in the innovation world. Um you know, anything that, that, you know, next year or two that, that kind of gets you excited, um, could be anything, anything in the kind of real estate spectrum that you see coming along tech or innovation or new ways of doing things that, that, uh, has you excited. No, man, I, I see that it's a lot easier to automate your business in general. And every time I see that, I get more excited about it. You know, I'm more likely to work, um, with a bank that lets me automatically ACH stuff you know, a property management company that's got everything, you know, seamless and online, 
you know, uh, taxes if I don't have to be there and, and pay for them and, you know, get my PO box with the, cause you could theoretically be anywhere running a business. It's not just like, you know, the tech guys that have a website that just churns out money while they're wherever they are, you know, real estate having traditionally been like, Oh, boots on the ground. You have to be in, you know, in the construction and in and feeling it. Like, you know, if you understand generally how the business operates, I really get excited about all the things that I'm seeing that are being able to be done online, automated. I think you guys have a good system with a lot of this new technology. I'm not going to spill the beans with this, some of this technology that you guys are working on. That's probably your thing for a later show. Uh, no, but no, no, I'm really I, encouraged. Yeah. I, so I, I totally agree. And I, I actually think where I sit, so I mean, we're looking at a lot of tech out there and I think it's on the head, which is just at a super high level, owning investment real estate is going to get easier and easier. Uh, and I mean, we're seeing even more stuff come down the pipe that just, I look at and I say, man, that's, that's just gonna be so awesome. And when owning investment real estate's easier, that opens up a whole new frontier. Um, because it takes less time. You don't have to be boots on the ground. Uh, and you don't have to be just trudging through some of these annoying things. Um, whether that's, you know, all sorts of different things that, that kind of come across. So that's awesome, man. I agree. I'm totally with you. The automation stuff is, is definitely the way to go and tech makes it a lot easier. So, Hey, all right, man, thanks for so much for joining us. Real estate hackers podcast, Hey, uh, real estate hackers conference coming up here. Uh, V2, V1 got canceled. Uh, I don't know if you, you were in the loop there, but April 2020, April 2020 was not the time to have a conference, but we're going to run it back here. End of April, uh, 2021. Are you in for the conference? Let's do it. Let's do it. Super right. pumped. Hey, I'm pumped. I am super pumped. Our team's pumped. Uh, and I hope you are too. I hope you can join us for the conference. We're going to have like 700 to a thousand people all in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, rocking and rolling. We'll have masks on if that's your thing. Hopefully you get a vaccine before then. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Thanks for joining. This was a great, uh, great time. And, and so awesome to have you on here. All right. Thanks a lot, Chad. Thanks, man. All right. See you guys. We'll be back again here soon. Got some awesome guests lined up and uh, have a great day. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. I have one more request. If you like this show, could you just please give us a review on Apple Podcasts? I'd really, really appreciate it so more investors can hear about us. Follow us at Real Estate Hackers on Instagram if you're cool like my wife. And if you have a great real estate hack, hit me up. Maybe we'll get you on this show. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Eric and team are unbelievable. Thanks for all you do for the show. See you soon.